Welcome back to part two of the new sermon series. Are you glad to be here? If you are, let's praise God together. We are glad that each and every one of you could be here today. We're in the book of Philippians for our new sermon series that is entitled The Happy Thief. We are exposing the 10 different villains that attempt to steal joy out of the life of the believer. And today, the sermon is entitled Vision Vandal. The second villain attempts to rob you of joy by distorting your vision. So here's the main thought for today. Here is the main proposition for the entire sermon. If you miss this, you're going to miss the sermon itself. Let me give it to you. You view the world in a particular way. And how you view the world, how you frame the world, determines your level of happiness. The problem is many of us don't even frame the world ourselves in the way we view things. We allow others to frame the world in which we live. And your joy your level of happiness is directly influenced by how you see the things in your life, the people in your life. So today, my goal is to help remove those goggles and put on a perspective that is more biblical, a perspective that is actually going to give you joy. If you're ready to hear from Philippians chapter 1 today, if you're ready to hear from the Word of God, give me an amen. Amen. Levels of happiness. You say, Pastor, uh, I mean, like, there are levels of happiness like there's a chart that we could look at. Oh, sure, yeah. For, I mean, there are levels of happiness, absolutely. Level one is, we'll call it absolute misery. Level 10 is complete joy. Level one, absolute misery. Level 10, complete joy. I'm, I'm going to say level one, you say absolute misery. Level one, absolute misery. <laughs> some of you are not playing along and I can make life very miserable for you in the next 30 minutes. I can be extremely boring and make sure you don't leave, all right? I'm gonna say level one, you say absolute misery. Level one, absolute misery. level 10, complete joy. I'll say level 10, you say complete joy. Level 10, complete joy, absolutely. This is what we're gonna be talking about. You say, how do people frame the world? Well, a lot of people frame the world in different ways, and I've got different ways in which I'm going to, these are not all the ways people allow themselves to frame the world, but these are some of the ways, and I'm gonna share with you these different ways, and I'm gonna correspond the way they view the world with a level of happiness. For example, some view the world, we'll call it number one, they'll view the world through a perspective of ignorance is bliss. For them, the entire world needs to be blocked out certain things that they don't agree with or they don't like. So this is how they view the world. Almost like everything is didactic, everything is just taken apart, that they don't like, they're going to frame the world as ignorance is bliss. If I don't like it, I'm just not going to see it. If I don't like it, I'm going to ignore the fact that it's there. I'm just going to block out everything that I don't like. Have you ever met anybody like this? Framing the world from this perspective, ignorance is bliss. You say, well, does this bring happiness? Well, sure, it brings some level of happiness, but the level of happiness is very low. Level one is absolute misery. Level 10 is complete joy. So what level is this? Ignorance is bliss? Well, ignorance is bliss is level, well, level four, so you're not going to get very high. Don't live this way. That's not a high enough level. You say, well, what is the next level? Some people like to live, I'll call it this, number two here. Number two, it's everything scares me. That's how they view the world. They view the world by covering their eyes, like the entire world is a scary movie, and every couple minutes, a jump scare grabs a hold of them. 
They're scared of, have you met anybody? Do you have family, friends who live this way? It's like the entire world is a scary place to be. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, what level of happiness is this? Well, there's some happiness because, you know, they're, they're, they're protected from everybody and everything. But the level of happiness, we're going to level it up at two. Some people don't like that, so they want to have more of a positive viewpoint of the world. And so for them, their perspective, they frame the world through well, everything is awesome. Everything is fantastic. And so this is how they view the world. Fantastic. All you have to do is put that frown upside down. All you have to do is be a little bit more positive. The power of positive thinking, that is their secret to everything. And as long as you are positive about everything, everything is awesome. And in reality, this type of person does experience a level of happiness. I'm gonna give them a level of happiness of number five. That's what I'm gonna give them. Then there's a perspective of somebody who has, uh, well, for this person, the world is ending. I mean, it's not just everything is scary. To them, the world is ending and ending completely. This is how they view the world. They're framed by their favorite media company. I mean, the world is going, it's, it's going to die. It's going to die. They spend most of their time checking out their favorite media company. And these, these media companies get paid lots and lots of money to scare you. And then you're scared. And the world is ending. And then the media companies, they're, they're people. They all go out to the same cocktails afterward after scaring the world. And this is what, and by the way, you say, is there a level of happiness? Yes, their level of happiness is level one. It's really far down. It's not a very good way to live uh, your life. Then there's the next perspective. The next perspective is cha-ching. This is a certain people's perspective. And that is, they frame the world through how can I make money off of this situation? Whether it's a good situation or it's a bad situation, everything in their worldview is how can I make a buck in this moment? And their level of happiness, honestly, is, well, we're gonna call their level of happiness a three because at least they get money out of the situation. Then there's this individual. This is, uh, this is uh, viewing the world from the perspective of life uh, live for the party. Life is a party, and they are just ready to have a good time no matter where they go. Uh, for them, their favorite Bible verse is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's their favorite Bible verse. Their also favorite Bible verse is judge not, lest you be judged. They love the party and the party life, and their level of happiness is actually pretty high, but not we'll give it a level four. They have a lot of fun, uh, but uh, then their fun leads to a lot of problems. Uh, we understand that. Then there's another perspective, and, and that is the perspective of framing the world through sports mania. I mean, for every, they, they live from season to season, sports season. There's no autumn. There is no winter. There is no spring. There's baseball season, football season, and hockey season, and for them, they live life enjoying the success of others as they live vicariously through them. They never participate in that success, but they're excited that other people are living their successful life. Level of happiness for them, they don't really live life. They watch others live life. Level three, we'll give it that, level three. And then there's the romantic. The romantic views everything from a perspective of, I will be happy when I find the right one. Happiness is found in another person. But when that other person breaks their heart, happiness is found in another person. And another, and another, and another. And they go from person to person to person, viewing the fact that maybe out there there's the right person. The sadness is even the right person is the wrong person because we're all sinners. And so for that person, the romantic lives at a level, well, we'll give it a level two. If you've lived that life, you understand. And then there's the last place, the last perspective. 
the one that I want you to go away with, the one I want you to frame your world around. It's the perspective that is found in scripture and it's the perspective guys like me have told people like you for thousands of years, thousands of years. I want you to view the world through the heavenly perspective, clarity on what was, clarity on what will be, clarity on who you are, clarity about who, where you came from and where you're going, clarity about your life, that it's not just your story, but that your story is part of a bigger story. And when you're able to view the world from God's point of view, everything changes. Everything, everything is affected. If you're ready to hear about this today from Philippians chapter one, give me a hearty amen. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through following. How does a heavenly perspective frame the Christian worldview? Number one, the heavenly perspective can frame your worldview. Number one, this is what it'll do to you. Number one, you'll see that my sorrow is part of a bigger story. My sorrow is part of a bigger story. Can you say that with me? Say it with me. My sorrow is part of a bigger story. It is. The heavenly perspective doesn't deny sorrow, sadness, pain. It just identifies it as part of a broader story. Look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter one, verses 12 and following. Paul, the apostle, was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he says in verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, a lot of the Philippians were saying, Paul, aren't you angry about the things that happened to you? And Paul said, whoa, whoa, whoa relax. Paul, aren't you depressed about all that you're going through? And he said, well, relax. Aren't you sad about all the things you're going through? And the apostle Paul said, relax. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Don't you understand, the apostle says, the prison sentence that I find myself in has actually launched the gospel of Jesus Christ further around the world. I'm okay with the fact that I'm in prison now because more people know about Jesus. Paul understood this truth. Christian, I want you to understand it. Your sorrow is part of a bigger story. Look, it goes on in verse number 13. So that it has become very evident. Not only is the gospel spread, it has become very evident to the whole palace guard, that is all the prison guards. Remember, Paul in prison was not just in a prison, he was actually shackled to a prison guard, shackled to multiple prison guards. Every eight hours or so, there would be a new prison guard shackled to the Apostle Paul. And you know what happened when somebody was shackled to the Apostle Paul? What do you think Paul's favorite thing to talk about was? What do you think his favorite thing to talk about was? What do you think it was? Jesus. So now you're a prison guard and you get shackled to a prisoner and the guy looks over at you and he's like, hello. <laughs> you ever been in a have you ever been in a situation where the person's talking to you about something you're not all that interested in? Have you ever been shackled to that person? And here the apostle Paul is shackled three times a day to three different types of people and these people are hearing all about Jesus and how great Jesus is. And, Paul's, and, they're, and they're saying to Paul, Paul, aren't you really messed up and sad and depressed about all this situation? Paul's like, no, let me tell you, all the prison guards know now about Jesus Christ and they're becoming Christians and it's spreading. By the way, historically, that's what happened. Because of the apostle Paul and other Christians in prison, 
the, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread through the Roman soldier network and the Roman army like no gospel spread in the early first and second century that had ever happened before. Why? Because so many Christians took the opportunity of the situation they were in. They understood that their sorrow was part of a bigger story so that the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Even the prison guards know that Jesus is in charge of me and the only reason I'm here is because God is my master. But he goes on, verse 14, my sorrow is part of a bigger story. And most of the brethren... He's saying not only has the gospel spread because of my sorrow, not only have prison guards got saved because of my sorrow, but the Christian brothers in the Lord, having become more confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said the last thing that has happened because I've been in prison is it has emboldened and it has encouraged Christians to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That historically also is what happens whenever Christianity goes through a time of purging and persecution. When Christianity historically goes through a time of persecution, the first thing that happens is all of the pretend Christians go away. Those who only went to church because it was culturally acceptable. Only those who claimed Jesus Christ because it was advantageous for their business. Only those who follow Jesus Christ because it fit well into the midst of their hobbies. And once that goes away, the church is purged from the phonies. And all of a sudden, what you have is a pure church that becomes even more confident. After the purging comes persecution. And that is those who are told they're not allowed to be followers of Jesus Christ will walk away from Christ if they're not true followers. But what Paul said took place here is that now that he was in prison, it actually was emboldening and encouraging, that is bringing courage to the Christians who remained. Now even more Christians are ready to go out and tell people about Jesus because of what Paul went through. What was Paul saying? Paul's saying, yes, I'm in a bad situation. My sorrow is truly powerful, but I understand that my sorrow is part of a bigger story. You see, perspective, how you frame the world changes everything. This is why I've been so thoroughly impressed with, with Logan. Logan is a pastor's son, a friend of mine my age, has children my age, and he pastors in Ohio. And Logan, right after graduating from high school, right before graduation, I should say, was diagnosed with a very for, rare form of cancer. And it has spread throughout his body, but they've been attacking it with chemotherapy. By the way, aren't you thankful to live in a modern society where we have such great medical help? Amen. Praise God for that. Amen. And man, they're just attacking that cancer and trying to save this young man's life. And it's just been amazing what's happened, the change and shift in his life over the, next, the last few months, planning toward college and all of a sudden spending that time he would have been starting his freshman year in hospitals and chemotherapy and in all sorts of problems. His theme, if you follow him on social media and his family, his entire family is so inspiring. His theme, as you follow them, is faith over fear. There is a lot to be afraid of when you've been diagnosed like Logan has. But his theme has been faith over fear. His theme verse has been Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where God says to Israel, I know the things that I think about you. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil. I plan to give you a hopeful ending. His perspective is to have faith regardless of the scenario. And if you watch their family, it's a genuine, amazing thing to see 
that their whole goal is to give glory to God no matter what happens. Let me say that again. Their goal is not to just see Logan healed. Their goal is to give glory to God no matter what God chooses to do. Now, hear that and let it sink in. Because a lot of quote-unquote Christians use God to get whatever they want instead of going to God to say whatever you want. Logan and his family say, God, we're in the midst of sorrow. We don't know why you've chosen this for our story, but we know that our story is part of a bigger story. You say, whose story is Logan's story part of? Logan's story is a small part of a bigger story called God's story. And so in our sorrow, Christians, hear me, I don't know your pain, I don't know your sorrow, but I will say, once you get to the point where you say, you know what, if I'm viewing this from God's point of view, my sorrow is part of a bigger story, I'm okay with it. It's not just our sorrow, it's also our success. How many of you in this room have experienced sorrow in life? Say amen. How many of you experienced some level of success in life? Say amen. Our sorrow and success are all for God's glory. Look at this individual. He's a, he's a quarterback you may have heard of in town. His name when is Derek people Carr. people are describing you this season, again, just through three games, the words that come up are command, confidence, playing like an MVP. How do those things Watch this. factor You're so great. Your You're so great. Listen to what he says. manage a game where at times it looked like you guys were down and out. You know, I've, I've been through this before when I snapped my ankle. The fans chant MVP and all that kind of stuff. All the self-glory, that stuff is fleeting. I've already been through that. God took me to a place that all I want to do is glorify him and wherever he's going That's where I want to go. And so if it's a win awesome. If it's not, I'm still gonna glorify him All the self-glory there's nothing in that he said now listen Derek who's a Christian as well lives in the city wonderful man listen Logan who is a Christian man and Derek who is a Christian man believe exactly the same thing in my sorrow, I give glory to God because I'm part of a bigger story. And in my success, I give glory to God because I'm part of a bigger story. As a Christian, your goal is not success, it's to give glory to God. Your goal is not sorrow, it's to give glory to God. It's whatever situation you're in, your perspective is, I guess this is the journey God has for me. My goal is to give glory to God in it. Why is this possible? Here's why. How does a heavenly perspective frame your world? Number one, my sorrow is part of a bigger story. Number two, my pain comes with a promise. My pain comes with a promise. Look at what it says in verses 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out to my deliverance. Paul says, you guys know I'm in prison, but I know that I'm gonna be released from prison. Have you ever made a prediction? Anybody ever make a, make a prediction before? How many have ever made a prediction and it came uh, and, and it did not come true? Like, oh man, I know. I mean, I did this yesterday with Alabama football. It was really, really sad. <laughs> my, my wife and I follow Alabama football. It was not a good day for us. Last night we went to bed bitter, woke up a little hungover and angry about being bitter. And when I say hungover, I forgot I'm in Las Vegas. Relax. All right. Just... <laughs> Hung over from anger is what I was angry about. And we lost the game, got up and said, okay, now we gotta go worship Jesus. So sometimes you, walk, you make a prediction, it just doesn't turn out the way you want. The apostle Paul makes a prediction here and it's absolutely amazing. Paul says, I know you guys are freaked out because I'm in prison, but let me make a prediction. I'm gonna get out of prison. Now, suppose you have a friend, 
a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, or somebody from your past who is literally in prison. And you go to one of those booths and there's the glass wall and they press the button and they start talking to you and you talk to them. And he looks at you and he looks across and says, hey, hey, can I tell you something? You're like, yeah, what's going on? I'm getting out of here. You're like, I know, in like five years, you'll get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm getting out of here now. And he makes a prediction about getting out early. You'd be like, well, I don't know about this. Paul's doing just that. He said, I know this will work out to my deliverance. Fascinating. Where are you going with this, Paul? Look, he goes on. He says, for I know this will turn out to my deliverance. I know that I'll be freed from prison through your prayer and supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that is I earnestly believe and I truly expect that my hope will come to fruition, that is I know I'm going to get out of prison, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I will not be disappointed. I will not be ashamed that I'm predicting that I'm going to get out of prison. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. He said, no matter what, I know I'm going to get out of prison and God will be glorified in what happened to me. I know it's going to happen. And the key is found in the last few words. Wherefore, whether it be by life or by death. He said, you want to know my perspective? My perspective is I'm getting out of this joint. He said, how are you getting out, Paul? He said, well, I'm either going to live and I'm going to get out or I'm going to die and I'm going to get out. And Paul's point is either way I win. See, this is such a different perspective than the rest of the world. Because if I sat across from somebody in prison and say, hey, you're going to get out of here no matter what, and you're like, they're like, really? Yeah, you could just die, and then your soul will be gone. They'd be like, what? What do you mean? But from a Christian perspective, his truth was absolutely a reality. And that was this. Paul saying, hey, look, God could physically let me out of this prison, and I'll go on preaching the gospel, or I could die. And if I die, well, that'd be just fine as well. Because regardless of the pain, I trust in the promise. We all do this with different avenues of our life. We all trust, or I should say, work through the pain because of the promise of what is to come. International travel works this way. Anybody, anybody here ever travel internationally? You've gone to other locations, you've traveled far distances, Pahrump doesn't count. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You travel into, how many of you ever traveled internationally, raise your hand before? I gotta tell you, it's wonderful experience and it is absolute terrible experience, it's both. It's a wonderful experience to get there, it's a terrible experience to get there. You know what I'm talking about? Because you have to fly there and it's not cool. I remember years ago, we went to India, and when we went to India, it was quite an experience to get prepped for it. Not only did you have to plan the entire trip, we were on a missions trip to southern India uh, and up into Nepal, and to go to these places, you had to get passports, you had to get visas. Anybody ever go through the visa process before? That's a joy. And we had to go and get the visas and you had to get shot with like five different shots of whatever they put in there. And, and then you have to go and, and uh, stand in lines. And once you finally got through the entire process, you got to the airport and you stand in long security lines and they're checking all sorts of parts of your body. And then you sit inside of a booth and you sit inside of that, that chair and you're going to sit there beside people you don't know for 100 years. 
It's like 14 hours or whatever. You're flying all the way across and they're breathing on you and you're breathing on them and you're trying to stretch your legs and you're moving around. And these are the only moments where as a small human being, I look at the tall people and I'm like, <laughs> uh, you're getting it now, aren't you? Yeah. Walking around in your little giant body all the time, being a big giant person, giant people. You get on a plane, I'm living large. You know what I'm like? My little mini self just enjoying all of my space over here. <laughs> Fly all the way across and then you get there. And, but travel internationally is a lot of fun, but you go through the pain to get to the promise of what you can enjoy. It happens all the time in our life. A mother is willing to go through the pain of childbirth so she could have the promise of holding a child. The person who stays fit goes through the pain of daily exercise so they can have the promise of living a healthy, long life. The person who's very careful with their budget and budgeting their finances goes through the pain of saying no to everything so they can live a fruitful and healthy and financially freedom life. Going through pain to get to the promise. Now, in all of those things that I said, whether that's traveling internationally and enjoying your trip, or whether that's going through childbirth and enjoying the baby, or whether that's, or whether that's any of the things that I mentioned, exercise and healthy life, here's the thing. Not all of the time does the pain lead to the promise. Sometimes the trip stinks. And sometimes you exercise your entire life and you're diagnosed with something that takes away your health. And sometimes you go through childbirth and the baby isn't. Isn't there, the promise is not fulfilled. But with the Christian perspective, the pain is guaranteed to always lead to the promise of God. God who cannot lie has promised you eternal life for those who have had their faith in Jesus Christ. God has promised that your story is part of a bigger story and that even your pain and your problems mean something in the end of the story. This is why all of these ways to view the world are so weak compared to viewing the world from the biblical or eternal point of view. You say, Pastor Josh, what should I do with my pain? I'll tell you what to do with your pain, and then we'll move on. Here's what you ought to, genuinely, here's your actionable step. Go home and do this. Get on your knees and thank God for the pain. Some of us have been praying, God, get rid of the pain. God, get rid of the pain. And instead, we need to get on our knees and say, dear God, I don't know why I'm in this pain, but I gotta tell you, you've allowed this pain for a reason. I thank you for this pain. And God, and then what you ought to do is you ought to verbalize your belief in the promise. God, I know I'm in this pain, and I thank you for it. And I believe that at the end of the pain, your promise will be fulfilled. That's the Christian perspective. Well, first and foremost, what do we see? How does a heavenly perspective frame my world? How does a heavenly perspective change the way I see things, Pastor Josh? Number one, my sorrow is part of a bigger story. My pain comes, from a, comes with a promise. And number three, I can see beyond the problem. Let's say this one together. I can see beyond this problem. Let's say it again, say it again. I can see beyond this problem. It is a superpower that is given to you, a supernatural ability given to a Christian to be able to go to the problem, see through the problem, to the promise. 
I want to teach you how. Look at what Paul says. Look at what it says in verse 21. From to me, and this is some of the most beautiful, poetic. If you love scripture, if you love poetry, you've got to listen to these words. Some of the most beautiful in all the Bible. For me, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul, you're in prison. Aren't you really upset? Paul, you might die in prison. Paul's answer is correct. And for me, to live is for Christ. And I'm totally cool with that. But if I were to die, that's cool too. He wins either way. Do you, know how you, do you know how you can become truly undefeatable? Is to put yourself in a win-win scenario. Do you know how to put yourself in a win-win scenario? Give yourself over to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the reason I am so filled with joy and when I am truly filled with happiness on a day-to-day basis is because I sit back and say, I can't lose. Because if I win, I win. And if I lose, that was part of God's plan. Therefore, I believe in the promise to come. I can see through this problem. I win. Even to the point of death, I win. For if I live on, Paul goes on, if I live on in this body, this will mean fruit for my labor, which I also shall choose, which I shall choose, I I cannot tell. He said, if I live on in this body, that's good for you because I help people. And if I had a choice between life and death, I'm not even sure that I could make the choice. I'm not even sure that I would be able to choose. You say, well, then who chooses life or death? As a Christian, God chooses. This is why we as Christians don't take our own life because we say, yeah, to live for God is awesome. It'll be some pain, but there's a promise at the end of the pain. And to die, I get to go to heaven to be with Jesus forever. That's cool too. You say, well, why don't you just choose to go to heaven? The answer is because I cannot choose. God decides if we stay here or not and we live for the promise. Look at verse 23. For I am hard pressed between the two. He said, I honestly feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'm not even sure if I were to choose life or death, which one I would choose. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I wish I could just go to heaven and be with Jesus rather than be with you people. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you understand what incredible power it is to have joy no matter what happens to you? Because you genuinely are in a place where you view everything from God's perspective. So quitting, listen to me, quitting becomes unfathomable. Don't quit. We just don't quit. Christians don't quit. Say Christians don't quit. Christians don't quit. They don't quit. (laughs) My, my, My daughter Scarlett and I um, are trying to uh, decorate for the holidays. She loves to decorate. I love to decorate. My family, we all decorate every single, every single next holiday. We're always decorating something. And, and uh, so we went down, not, not yesterday, but a week ago Saturday. Uh, it was October 2nd, and we went to Walmart to buy Halloween decorations. It was October 2nd. What date was it? This is important to the story. What date was it? October 2nd. It was October 2nd. Jason, It wasn't October 29th, it was October 2nd. And we showed up at Walmart to buy Halloween decorations. On what was the date? October 2nd. 
showed up. My wife, my, my daughter and I were driving the cart through. Uh, by the way, my, Scarlett was the one who gave the announcement. Didn't she do a great job earlier? She's a big person. I think she's great. I like her a lot. We'll keep her around. She's a good kid. And, and we're walking through looking for, and I, I walked up to another, I said, where are your Halloween decorations? And this is what the lady said. She said, Halloween, de- now? And I said, yeah, I know it's a little early. Like, where are the Halloween decorations? She said, oh, I think there's some left over in that section. I don't wear glasses, but I love the dramatic effect. You know what I mean? I said, there might be some left. What was the date? October 2nd. I said, there might be some left. We went over there, and there was, you know, there was like three witches' costumes and a half-eaten snicker bar. And I'm looking around like, like a hurricane had just gone through. It's all gone. And it was October 2nd. And I said, what's going on? And she said, there's nothing left. We're looking around. We just wanted a little blow-up thing or a little, some orange lights or purple lights we had put outside. And, and there was nothing there. There was another lady. She was lost too, like a poor soul, walking around with a cart doing exactly what we were doing. She looked over to us, said, are you looking for Halloween decorations? I said, yes, we are. Are you, ma'am? She said, yes, I am. I said, I don't think there are any left. She said, no, a woman told me they're all gone. And I, I took off my glasses. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, let's meet back here in April, you know, and we'll be ready to go. The, the, the aisle next door to it was absolutely filled with what kind of decorations? Christmas! October 2nd! <laughs> this has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just really angry. <laughs> it was a couple days later, I got a phone call from Scarlett, and she was at Target, and it was FaceTime, and, and it, was, uh, it was Friday, because I was meeting with somebody, having coffee, one of you, and, and um, I said, this is my daughter, let me get this, and she's FaceTiming me. She's all excited. She's like, Dad! I said, what? She said, I'm at Target, and she held up a singular box of orange lights, 100 orange lights. You know, it's enough to do like four feet, and she said, look what I found at Target, and, and I said, oh, that's awesome. How much is it? Ten bucks for four feet. I said, no, we're not doing it. She's like, I agree, this is too much. She hung up. <laughs> I'm so mad. Tried to order online, everything takes forever now because the shipping containers, I don't know what's going on. The world, it's crazy, right? I'm like, what are we gonna do? She called me yesterday, yesterday, from Walmart. She said they have a new shipment in. So you know what we're doing? As soon as the third service is over, after we eat lunch, we're going to Walmart before all of you people can get there. <laughs> Loading up our cart. You know why? Because you don't quit. Now look, 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 look. You may have lived as long as I have lived, and if you have, you've lived long enough to watch people quit on a lot of things they shouldn't have. People quit on their job when they just needed to keep going forward. They quit on their dream when they should have just kept going. The PowerPoint will quit out because technology doesn't work. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? People will quit on a relationship when they need to keep working the relationship. If you've lived long enough, you've had friends quit on life. They'll either isolate themselves to be with nobody or they'll even take their own lives. 
I've had multiple personal dear friends commit suicide. How do you get to a place of such sorrow and hopelessness to where you give up on these things? It's very simple. You continue to view the world through one of these lenses or a plethora of others I don't have time to discuss. Do you know how to get to a place where you don't quit on yourself, quit on others, and definitely don't quit on God? You start viewing things from God's perspective, and that's what Paul did. And I gotta tell you, man, I gotta tell you, there's so much happiness there. And I want you to carry that joy with you, okay? Don't let the vision vandal thieve your happiness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truths of this passage. The Apostle Paul taught us so much, and my prayer is that you would help us to take it, learn it, live it, and abide in it. I thank you, Jesus Christ, that you did not quit on us because you came and died for the sins of mankind, even though we made you sad and sorrowful, even though our sins pulled us away from your Father. You died for our sins, and you call us to you. I do pray for my friends who have never yet been, received, have never yet been saved, who have never yet repented and received Christ. I pray that today they would be born again if you call them even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.